Legendary Passages, Episode 104, Plutarch's Life of Theseus, Section 6, Labors of Theseus. Previously, Theseus learned that he was the son of Aegeus, king of Athens. In this passage, Theseus makes his way to Athens to be recognized as his father's heir. Theseus retrieved his father's sword and sandals from under a boulder, but then refused to sail to Athens, wanting to go by land instead. His grandfather told him of the terrible bandits and beasts that lay on the road around the Saronic Gulf, but Theseus wanted to earn some glory for himself in the manner of his cousin Heracles. The first bandit was the club-bearer Periphetes. Theseus killed him, and kept the club thereafter. Second was the pine-bender Sinus. His daughter Perigune bore Theseus a son named Melanippus. Third was the Cromionian sow called Phaea, either a gigantic pig or a monstrous lady. Fourth may have been Skyron of Megara, who was either a bandit with dirty feet or an enemy general killed in war some time later. After killing the wrestler Kirkian, Theseus slew Damastes via his own Procrustean bed. Finally, after being purified of bloodshed, Theseus arrived in Athens to discover that Aegeus had married the sorceress Medea. She planned to poison Theseus's wine, but when he pulled out his sword to carve meat, Aegeus recognized it and pushed the goblet away from his son's lips. Because of his deeds and valor, when Aegeus announced that Theseus was his heir, the citizens of Athens received him gladly. Labors of Theseus, a legendary passage from Bernadette Perrin translating Lucius Mestrius Plutarchus, Life of Theseus Sections 6 through 12. Theseus put his shoulder to the rock and easily raised it up, but he refused to make his journey by sea, although safety lay in that course, and his grandfather and his mother begged him to take it. For it was difficult to make the journey to Athens by land, since no part of it was clear nor yet without peril from robbers and miscreants. For verily that age produced men who, in work of hand and speed of foot and vigor of body, were extraordinary and indefatigable, but they applied their powers to nothing that was fitting or useful. Nay, rather, they exulted in monstrous insolence and reaped from their strength a harvest of cruelty and bitterness, mastering and forcing and destroying everything that came in their path. And as for irreverence and righteousness, justice and humanity, they thought that most men praised these qualities for a lack of courage to do wrong, or for fear of being wronged, and consider them no concern of men who were strong enough to get the upper hand. Some of these creatures Heracles cut off and destroyed as he went about, but some escaped his notice as he passed by, crouching down and shrinking back and were overlooked in their abjectness. And when Heracles met with Calamity and, after the slaying of Iphitus, 
removed into Lydia, and for a long time did slave service there in the house of Umphal. Then Lydia indeed obtained great peace and security. But in the regions of Hellas the old villainies burst forth and broke out anew, there being none to rebuke and none to restrain them. The journey was therefore a perilous one for travelers by land from the Peloponnesus to Athens, and Pythias, by describing each of the miscreants at length, what sort of a monster he was, and what deeds he wrought upon strangers, tried to persuade Theseus to make his journey by sea. But he, as it would seem, had long since been secretly fired by the glorious valor of Heracles, and made the greatest account of that hero, and was a most eager listener to those who told what manner of man he was, and above all to those who had seen him and been present at some deed or speech of his. And it is altogether plain that he then experienced what Themistocles many generations afterward experienced, when he said that he could not sleep for the trophy of Miltiades. In like manner Theseus admired the valor of Heracles, until by night his dreams were of that hero's achievements, and by day his ardor led him along and spurred him on in his purpose to achieve the like. And besides, they were kinsmen, being sons of cousins germain. For Aethra was a daughter of Pythias, as Alcmene was of Lysidice, and Lysidice and Pythias were brother and sister, children of Hippodemia and Pelops. Accordingly, he thought it a dreadful and unenduring thing that his famous cousin should go out against the wicked everywhere and purge land and sea of them, while he himself ran away from the struggles which lay in his path, disgracing his reputed father by journeying like a fugitive over the sea, and bringing to his real father as proofs of his birth only sandals and a sword unstained with blood, instead of at once offering noble deeds and achievements as the manifest mark of his noble birth. In such a spirit, and with such thoughts, he set out, determined to do no man any wrong, but to punish those who offered him violence. And so in the first place, in Epidaria, when Periphetes, who used a club as his weapon, and on this account was called club-bearer, laid hold of him and tried to stop his progress, he grappled with him and slew him, and being pleased with the club, he took it and made it his weapon, and continued to use it, just as Heracles did with the lion's skin. That hero wore the skin to prove how great a wild beast he had mastered, and so Theseus carried the club to show that, although it had been vanquished by him, in his own hands it was invincible. On the Isthmus, too, he slew Sinus the Pinebender, in the very manner in which many men had been destroyed by himself. And he did this without practice or even acquainting with the monster's device, but showing that valor is superior to all device and practice. Now Sinus had a very beautiful and stately daughter named Peregun. This daughter took to flight when her father was killed, and Theseus went about in search for her. But she had gone off into a place which abounded greatly in shrubs and rushes and wild asparagus, and with exceeding innocence and childless simplicity was supplicating these plants as if they understood her, and vowing that if they would hide and save her, she would never trample them down nor burn them.
When, however, Theseus called upon her and gave her a pledge that he would treat her honorably and do her no wrong, she came forth, and after consorting with Theseus, bore him Melanippus, and afterwards lived with Dionysus, son of Eurytus the Ocalian, to whom Theseus gave her. From Melanippus, the son of Theseus, Ioxus was born, who took part with Ornitus in leading a colony into Caria, whence it is ancestral usage with the Ioxids, men and women, not to burn either the asparagus thorn or the rush, but to revere and honor them. Now the Cromionian sow, which they called Phaea, was no insignificant creature, but fierce and hard to master. This sow he went out of his way to encounter and slay, that he might not be thought to perform all his exploits under compulsion, and at the same time because he thought that while the brave man ought to attack villainous men only in self-defense, he should seek occasion to risk his life in battle with the nobler beasts. However, some say that Phaea was a female robber, a woman of murderous and unbridled spirit, who dwelt in Cromion, and was called Sow because of her life and manners, and was afterwards slain by Theseus. He also slew Skyron on the borders of Megara by hurling him down the cliffs. Skyron robbed the passers-by, according to the prevalent tradition, but, as some say, he would insolently and wantonly thrust out his feet to strangers and bid them to wash them, and then, while they were washing them, kick them off into the sea. Megarian writers, however, taking issue with current report, and, as Simonides expressed it, waging war with antiquity, say that Skyron was neither a violent man nor a robber, but a chastiser of robbers, and a kinsman and friend of good and just men. Boreacus, they say, is regarded as the most righteous of the Hellenes, and Cycreus the Salmanian has divine honors at Athens, and the virtues of Peleus and Telamon are known to all men. Well then, Skyron was a son-in-law of Cycreus, father-in-law of Iacus, and grandfather of Peleus and Telamon, who were the sons of Indias, daughter of Skyron and Chariclo. It is not likely, then, they say, that the best of men made family alliances with the basest, receiving and giving the greatest and most valuable pledges. It was not, they say, when Theseus first journeyed to Athens, but afterwards, that he captured Elysus from the Megarians, having circumvented Diocles its ruler, and slew Skyron. Such, then, are the contradictions in which these matters are involved. And Elysus, moreover, he out-wrestled Kirkian the Arcadian and killed him. And going on a little farther, at Irenaeus he killed Damastes, surnamed Procrustes, by compelling him to make his own body fit his bed, as he had been wont to do with those of strangers. And he did this in imitation of Heracles. For that hero punished those who offered him violence in the manner in which they plotted to serve him, and therefore sacrificed Bacyrus, wrestled Antaeus to death, slew sickness in single combat, and killed Termeris by dashing in his skull. It is from him, indeed, as they say, the name Termerian Mischief comes, for Termeris, as it would seem, 
used to kill those who encountered him by dashing his head against theirs. Thus Theseus also went on his way, chastising the wicked, who were visited with the same violence from him which they were visiting upon others, and suffered justice after the manner of their own injustice. As he went forward on his journey, and came to the river Cephasus, he was met by men of the race of the Phytalidae, who greeted him first, and when he asked to be purified from bloodshed, cleansed him with the customary rites, made propitiatory sacrifices, and feasted him at their house. This was the first kindness which he met with on his journey. It was then, on the eighth day of the month Cronius, now called Hecatomeion, that he is said to have arrived at Athens. And when he entered the city, he found public affairs full of confusion and dissension, and the private affairs of Aegeus and his household in a distressing condition. For Medea, who had fled thither from Corinth, and promised by her sorceries to relieve Aegeus of his childlessness, was living with him. She learned about Theseus in advance, and since Aegeus was ignorant of him, and was well on in years, and afraid of everything because of the faction in the city, she persuaded him to entertain Theseus as a stranger guest, and to take him off by poison. Theseus, accordingly, on coming to the banquet, thought best not to tell in advance who he was, but wishing to give his father a clue about the discovery, when the meats were served, he drew his sword, as if minded to carve with this, and brought it to the notice of his father. Aegeus speedily perceived it, dashed down the proffered cup of poison, and after questioning his son, embraced him, and formally recognized him before an assembly of the citizens, who received him gladly because of his manly valor. And it is said that as the cup fell, the poison was spilled where now is the enclosure in the Delphinium, for that is where the house of Aegeus stood, and the Hermes to the east of the sanctuary is called the Hermes at Aegeus's gate. This passage continues with King Minos coming for his tribute, but our next episode explores the Corinthian Isthmus.